Carissa Niehoff is the executive director of the National Federation of State High School Associations. In this role, she's one of the most impactful leaders in our country in shaping the way that sports take shape in school and also other activities, how they take shape in school. Carissa joined us on the Sport and the Growing Good podcast to share some of her perspectives and experiences. Her background is really great and really remarkable, the things that she's done over the years as a teacher, a coach, a leader in Connecticut, and now a national leader based in Indianapolis at the national headquarters. At NFHS, Carissa and her colleagues are critical in shaping the ways opportunities unfold in education-based sports. So when, when we say education-based sports, we're largely referring to those that are attached to school. In youth sports, some of the most common trends that we see are sports being pulled away from school. And some kids' most serious sporting experiences are now in club sport scenes, travel sport scenes, as opposed to being attached to the school. Carissa had a really great and thoughtful way of thinking about this issue. First of all, she identified out-of-school sports as having a lot of positive impacts, and there's a lot of great potential in that. But as we discussed, there are also some concerns if kids are in only out-of-school sports. I found it especially interesting to think about this as it relates to coaching and who is shepherding the way in sport. When it comes to school-based sports, like a high school volleyball team, for example, or other teams in a given school, it's very common that the coach or those adults in charge are formally attached to the school. And as such, they're working in concert with the broader school mission, the same values, the same credentialing and leadership, training, the same pedagogy, similar vision and mission as what's happening in the school day. Things are not always perfect in these settings. We've all had coaches attached to schools that weren't perfect and there were always problems. However, the experience of school-based sports is largely one that broadens the school experience and it deepens the school experience to make it a really rich undertaking for kids and families and teachers and coaches and broader members of the school community. So Carissa, again, I just really appreciated her insights on thinking this issue through on how do we as school-based leaders work in concert with those who are working out of school in sports and how can we do this better together. Another of the many things she described as really interesting and important that I found most fascinating was her discussion of the expanded presence of the NFHS network, which streams thousands of games and other school activities live so families and other members of the community can watch their kids in action in real time. Over the pandemic, we've all become dependent to a certain amount on this type of technology. But she talked about how there are so many benefits of expanded streaming and of the innovation that's occurred and what we might expect moving forward as it relates to streaming sports. NFHS Network impact has been significant and anyone who has kids in high school or coaches in high school or is even interested in high school sports has really seen the explosive growth of this network 
in really having a great online presence and allowing people who may not be able to be in person at games take part in the experience. So I just truly appreciated this conversation with Carissa and her leadership and just her care and concern for young people and their development and growth. And it was real, really an honor and a pleasure to have that time with her. Thank you so much, Carissa, for joining us on the Sport and the Growing Good podcast. Well, certainly, uh, I appreciate the compliment. Um, absolutely, there were people who were very influential. Uh, my parents, first and foremost, um, always keeping us three kids involved in activity, encouraged in our in our academic pursuits as well as co-curricular. Um, and then, of course, I had coaches that uh, were very influential through their their modeling of behavior and leadership, as well as their encouragement of me and my teammates and um, just so many good opportunities to work with great people. And I saw their influence, felt their influence on me and, and saw it on others and thought, boy, if I could be anything in the, in the world when I grow up, uh, I want to be a person who influences kids and gets them excited like my coaches do. Um, at the same time, unfortunately, I saw examples of poor leadership, poor coaching, and the impact that that behavior had on kids. So I, it just kind of strengthened my own resolve to, to do something in the world that made a difference. Um, and I, I saw teaching and coaching as that avenue. Um, my, my best coaches, most influential, ironically, were my Latin teacher, uh, which is also why I, I wanted to pursue teaching Latin. Um, and he was very old school, uh, boys track coach. And I sometimes practice with the boys. So um, for some reason, I just <laughs> liked his style. And then, of course, I had a girls track coach and my field hockey coach that um, were just wonderful, influential women in my life. So um, had a had an eclectic kind of pot of influencers growing up. When you think about your your Latin teacher, that's an interesting example. What what was it about him that made him uh, impactful upon you? Boy, it's really interesting. He was uh, an, a veteran teacher. We sat in in our desks, assigned seats. He called us by our last names. Um, very old school instructional style. And then as a track coach, he was a disciplinarian rigorous practices, but he was consistent. He was um, encouraging in his, in his own way. Um, and he just had this way of making you want to do well. Um, and when you did well, he was uh, very steady and calm, but he was, he was direct and said, you did very well and this is why. Um, so it, it just felt good to constantly be in this environment of challenge, but then a very fair environment and one that also afforded recognition and coaching. Um, I, it just, it worked for me. Um, so I really appreciated, he, he was different. He was different for sure. You coached and were really successful in coaching over the years in Connecticut. And, and then I saw you, you became active in the Connecticut 
kind of state federation um, of high school associations before um, now over the past years being the leading the national federation of state high school associations. I wonder if you could share for a moment among the many, many things you do in that role, what are kind of the key aspects of the work you do leading the national federation? That's a great question. Uh, I think central to the work in my role is um, being the champion for education-based activities. As you well know in, in your own work, um, we have interscholastic competition, we have co-curricular programs, speech, debate, music, and theater. And our, our national federation uh, oversees each of those areas. So we're not just athletics, we're also performing arts. Um, so what, what my charge and my responsibility is, is to be the face and the voice of the national landscape when it comes to state associations and their work um, with students and schools and all that is unique about the education-based experience, which truly is uh, the extension of the school day. It's like the second half of the school day with trained adults who hopefully are compassionate. A student can enjoy an education-based experience that's aligned with the school mission of growth and development. They can also experience the excitements, um, the joys and the sorrows and the life lessons in a very um, uh, sort of a, a, a very intentional environment um, where many adults are supportive of the experience in the best scenarios. Uh, so the National Federation stands as the leader and as the executive director, I'm the sort of the, the lead learner and the lead champion for this great work that takes place in our schools. I grew up in the Hoosier state there where you're based. And I recall the things you're talking about, for example, growing up playing basketball, the kind of the, the spirit of basketball in that state and the, the enthusiasm that kind of goes throughout a school when that, you know, in March is going on is such a memorable thing. And one of the greatest experiences I had growing up, um, and I know that's the case in many states uh, all around the country, but uh, you know, there's this trend toward out of school sports where we see, you know, over $15 billion um, industry growing around travel sports and club sports. I know that that is not necessarily a bad thing in a lot of ways, but it is a different trajectory that a lot of kids are starting to take. Are there aspects of some of these trends toward club sports, travel sports that concern you? Absolutely. And I appreciate that um, you mentioned that there are also positive, positive things about, uh, we, we call them third party, um, you know, youth sport groups. And there are just so many at this point, even, you know, multiple opportunities within a single sport. Um, so we, we have to coexist. And, and we wanna be collaborative and good, good working partners in that, in that effort. However, we are very concerned when kids and families are provided misinformation about the, the values and expectations in a youth sport experience. Um, we're very concerned when there's a perceived need to specialize or there's some 
sort of veiled threat that if uh, a student does not specialize, they won't be able to advance to the next level. So we observe all over the country, across sports, burnout, uh, disenfranchisement, um, discouragement, and then ultimately disengagement from sport altogether. Um, so we're also concerned when we have other programs that employ coaches, volunteer or paid, that don't have a good grounding in training, education-based training, um, positive coaching, best practices in coaching. And when in fact it, it becomes, you know, a little bit of a business mindset out there. Um, and, and there's almost a trafficking to where elite talent goes. And, and, and then, you know, the, the less talented kids are kind of left behind. Um, so we're really concerned about that and hopeful that as we continue to work with national governing bodies, with youth sport organizations, that we can come together at least around agreed upon mission and purpose for youth sport, um, the outcome, not the wins and losses, and the growth and the development that occurs when kids are playing and how that growth stays with them when they've finished their career as, as an athlete um, through life. So um, really concerned by what we're seeing um, because it, it, it's, a, it's a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar business. And unfortunately we're, we're losing kids. Um, because the experience is not always positive. The, the term education-based activities seems to be central to the work you do. And increasingly, we can see a lot of kind of club, for example, club basketball programs, club soccer programs, infusing this language of more of a holistic perspective, even as they are kind of ramping up the competitive setting. Now, the extent to which a lot of these places are actually able to do that is uh, is, is hard to determine. But are, do you see ways that this idea of education-based sports can be done better in a club sports setting than it is now? Um, and, and do you all have a role in that? That's a great question. Uh, absolutely, we're starting to see examples of really healthy approaches to teaching and developing skills and talents through sport. Um, many of the national governing bodies, which for example, USA football, um, USA field hockey, USA ice hockey, and some of those organizations that serve as a pipeline for development to the Olympic level and international level actually have put tremendous research and time and resources into developing um, what is known internationally as the athlete development model. It's basically an age and stage approach. So um, if any of the listeners are interested, if you simply Google USA football, for example, um, or USA uh, ice hockey, you'll be able to see how youth sport involvement is just defined and described in very age appropriate ways. So from the first point of engagement in a sport, what, what are the skills that are developed? What are the attributes that are developed? What does 
uh, achievement look like and what is readiness to move to the next level. So that's a super positive um, development now across sports. Uh, and many of our national governing bodies have strong youth sport developmental systems. Those are the positives. Um, it's some of the wild west kind of um, sort of not so organized and not so fluent in expertise and best practice groups that we worry about. Um, the role that we play with these national governing bodies is a, is a good partner. Um, most of our NGBs know that their, their strength lies at the youth engagement level, getting the kids involved in a sport, building them, building their skills and talents. And then when kids get to high school, typically they're gonna play for their high school program. So over the last two to three years in particular, the NFHS has been intentional about strengthening relationships with national governing bodies and actually sitting at the table of their, their boards of directors, of their development model advisory councils. And there's our partnership with national governing bodies has really grown, um, working with the USOPC, um, working with Special Olympics North America to grow unified sport programs in schools. So um, we, are, we are getting stronger and stronger as allies. And I think collectively uh, with national governing body influence with national federation influence, we can present a very healthy front when we talk about the value of sport, what healthy engagement looks like, what, what to look for in a good program, if you're a family making decisions. And I think we can really get at um, some of the disheartening stories and dysfunctional programming that's out there right now. Those are really great examples. And and encouraging the one thing that always jumps out at me when it comes to coaching in these environments is that when it comes to school-based sports, typically there's, there's some basic threshold of coaches, you know, traditionally a lot of coaches are teachers in the system and they have instructional backgrounds and they, they have some understanding of the way kids learn, the way kids develop. And there's some kind of credentialing that might have to occur but in a lot of these out of school settings there literally is none of that and while there are a lot of great coaches out there just as you've said and a lot of really positive things there's just not a whole lot of way to support the development of coaches so those are just really encouraging examples that you shared um, I wonder if I could ask you a question about this pandemic time and what you have learned throughout it in terms of lessons learned about not only how sports are led, but on the impacts of when sports are removed and how that kind of affects kids and school communities. Yeah, uh, we've learned a lot. Um, we have learned that what we've always believed to be so good about engagement in, in school-based activities has been underscored, um, underscored in part uh, because we just had to live without them in a lot of places. And I want to first just say thank you, thank you to University of Wisconsin. Um, you and your colleagues have just been instrumental and absolutely critical in um, highlighting through evidence-based information the importance 
of engagement in these things from a mental and emotional wellness perspective, even a physical quality of life perspective as reported by kids. Um, your research has been central in the national landscape as we talk about what we've missed and what we lost and what we need to, to pay attention to as we return, uh, the reasons why. Um, we've learned that engagement in, in sports and activities is critical to the growth and development of our kids um, when in those opportunities are not there. Um, there's a loss of mental, emotional, social health, physical health. Um, so we've, we've learned a ton from a health perspective. We've also learned that these activities matter outside the school to communities and to families. And, um, you know, there were a lot of voices that began to clamor as the months went by and, and kids still hadn't returned. Um, we've also learned that we can be nimble. We can adjust how we do things when we need to uh, without necessarily compromising the integrity of games and how sports are played. So we've learned about hygienic practices. We, we adjusted there. We've learned that um, we can make some slight adjustments to administration of sport events and still have them take place, still have them be enjoyed. We've really learned how important technology is from a live streaming perspective. So I think we're gonna see that continue. Um, but we've also learned that that live ticket to sit in the bleachers, to sit on the sidelines is, is the best seat in the house. So um, we, we're gonna go forward with a little bit of a new normal, um, but with renewed confidence that we can get through tough things um, and, and renewed information and knowledge that we have to get through tough things because the damage done is far more long-term than we ever realized. When, when you say that far more long-term, what are you referring to? Uh, the loss, um, because I think in particular about the scholastic age group, um, one year of lost opportunity um, could be sort of the, a pivot point in the road for young people without structure, engagement, excitement, the support of team and coach and, and physical activity, which contributes to so much growth and healthy growth and development. There, there could be other distractions that pull a young person away down different pathways. Who knows? Um, but we hate to hear that uh, anyone experiences a change in a sense of identity, a sense of worth, a sense of health. Um, so th those kinds of uh, uh, pain points uh, can be alleviated immediately with re-engagement or they could be points of loss that that are more permanent. That's a great point. You can clearly see the, you know, when kids are removed from school, the learning loss that can occur and removed from sport, the development and growth um, loss. I, I even more of this identity thing and the, the social component. I have referred to this quote a lot, but uh, uh, there's a school leader that I work with a bit and his phrase that he uses a lot is that every kid needs a place to hang their hat. They need a place that they can kind of thrive. And when that was removed, you could really see that a lot of kids maybe didn't know where to hang their hat. And that, that 
um, was a really difficult lesson to see. It really was. And um, as this was occurring, we watched the amazing um, resilience and creativity of coaches and teachers um, doing anything they could to stay connected, uh, whether it was through music activities, sport activities, uh, learning activities. Our school professionals really are uh, the heroes of the year. Um, all of our leaders of programs for kids that worked to keep them engaged in some form of fashion. And when we saw those examples of even virtual engagement, you, you saw kids light up, you saw them connected and, um, and you saw them hang on. And so when they did have the chance to come back, if they had to wear a mask when they were on the court, they did without question. Um, if, if they had to play fewer games, have fewer concerts, no problem. They just wanted to be back. Um, so I just applaud higher ed institutions for supporting the study and direction of re-engagement and the, the schools and youth programs that, that kept, kept things moving forward with as much attention to risk minimization as possible. I think we're coming through this. Our story from the national mosaic of decision-making and landscape, our story has been collectively a very good one where kids have gone back to playing um, you know, from a COVID perspective, we just have not seen sports uh, demonstrate that they are super spreaders. And in fact, the great majority of games scheduled were played. So um, we're coming through this. We've learned a lot and, and we just applaud the people that kept, kept the momentum through this past year. Carissa, you referred briefly to streaming and that is the last thing I'd like to ask you about and what an amazing, I don't know if I'd call it an innovation or a growth that has occurred in that regard. Um, as a parent of high school age kids who participate in sports, it was a real lifesaver for us to be able to watch our kids compete when gyms were closed to spectators and, and we could pop on the NF, NFHS network and watch the games, which was great. Like you said, it wasn't the same as being there, but it was really, really a great thing for, for us. And even for grandparents who are living across the country and all over to be able to watch, which they never were able to do before. Um, what are you most excited about with regard to the NFHS network and this new era of sports viewing? Well, we're very excited that the network can provide the opportunities you just described. If there's ever a reason why someone can't get in the car and buy that ticket at the gym door or now certainly, you know, flash your phone, <laughs> you know, for your e-tickets yeah. e or whatever, but, uh, or if there are relatives around the country or even internationally, um, the network can provide that platform. The other thing it can do is provide access to archives of now eight years of contests. So, it's been fun to look at some of our younger professional athletes and actually be able to go back and find their high school archives oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> when they were young, um, you know, and watch them. Yeah. It's fun to do that, you know, um, for when, when the network was young and schools were early adopters. And um, so as the years fly by, we'll have a continued access to a great library of um, 
fun events to watch. And um, so we're excited about that. We're also excited that the network, um, simply based on what a school chooses to share and has a camera in place, can also feature things like graduations, assemblies, concerts, um, whatever a school wants to stream, it can sit on the network. And the, a neat thing for schools and state associations is that um, based on a, a percentage of the network profits, the network issues variable performance shares to states, they get rights fees and they get these performance shares and schools actually also receive some money from uh, live streaming their events. So we're excited that it can even be a revenue stream for schools. Local businesses can capture a little corner of the screen with their logo if there's a sponsorship interest and kids can learn about broadcasting. Um, so even though the network doesn't require live broadcasting, it can be simply automated with no announcers. You can also plug in a, a microphone and have a play-by-play -play if you want. So we're excited about what it offers, um, easy, and uh, we're really excited about the future that it holds from a revenue perspective for schools. It's, a, it's remarkable to, just to see what you just saw, the different ways that different schools produce these live streams and some of them are they're funny and they're fun and it, just a great way to get all different members of the school community involved it's been really really as a again as a spectator fan parent uh, a really great development and one I have a question for you about this and maybe you don't know the data but my awareness of the NFHS network has just grown through this pandemic but I'm wondering if was it already a big thing or has this pandemic period kind of made it explode in growth? Do you have any kind of data or numbers on how much it's grown, the viewership? Yeah. So the network is um, currently working in 46 of our states and um, the network has provided free of charge two free Pixelot cameras for any high school that's a member of their state association. So um, that, that could, <laughs> we have almost 20,000 high schools around the country. Wow. Um, so that, that's a lot of cameras. So it's about a $200 million commitment. Um, we're offering free install as well. So it's a great opportunity for, for schools to access streaming. We've, we're in our eighth year of existence and have grown dramatically year over year. Um, I would have to get, it's, it's literally um, hundreds of thousands of events wow. that are streamed every single year across sports, um, almost equal number of boys and girls. So it's, and it's all sports that a state chooses to feature. So we've got bass fishing championships. We've got, <laughs> um, you know, some, some really kind of cool things to watch, you know? Um, it's, so it's, it's not, you know, at all, uh, le more leaning toward football and basketball, although there are a lot of those events on the network. Yeah. Um, we try to feature as many girls as boys across all varieties of sports. So, um, but it's growing every year. Um, and it, it it's works like almost like a Netflix membership. It's 1099 a month um, and you get access to unlimited content. So um, we're excited about it and we think it's only going to continue to grow. And that's great exposure for all of our kids. 
it seems like just a win all across the board for everyone involved that you just mentioned. Are there any accompanying concerns with this growth of the network? Well, there are, there are always concerns, uh, no matter how big the network is, whether it was a little tiny startup or as big as it is now. Um, there are concerns, and, and we saw something happen a few weeks ago in Oklahoma where there was um, extremely horrific remarks made by one of the two announcers covering a girls' state tournament basketball game. And that, that really was the top media story for at least two days through the weekend. Um, things like bad behavior, poor choices, um, those are things that um, as proactive as we want to be in trying to share best practices with people that announce, um, we, we fear that those kinds of things could happen again. Um, there's, then there's the technical glitches <laughs> that can occur if something's not turned on at the right time or a wire gets pulled or something like that. So, and those are never fun for the fans because in that moment <laughs> they've paid money to watch that event. So, but um, those, those incidences, while they happen, they're extremely rare. Um, when you think that, you know, you have 46 states and schools that are streaming events at any one time. Um, so those are the kinds of concerns we have. Uh, we, we always have an eye out for competitive kinds of pursuits, but right now we are the largest uh, streamer of high school events. And, and that's where we want to stay, scholastic events. It's so inspiring to hear about all your work, Carissa. And I want to finish just by coming full circle back to your coaching days. And we have, a, as I mentioned to you, a bunch of young and developing coaches who want to promote good through sport. And I wonder just in closing, if you have, if you were to step back to your own self when you were just starting coaching and you had a word of advice for all of us who are just at the early steps of our coaching days. Do you have a, a final word for us? That's a, that's a great question. Um, I think most important is to remember why we're there. Remember why the kids are there and remember that there could be a lot of different reasons. Um, remember that our kids bring different aptitudes, different capacities for handling challenge different capacities for handling emotion. And they're also bringing different dinner table conversations. So um, if we remember that our kids are, are individuals, as, as much as we are collectively a team uh, and keep that at the core of the work we do, remember that everything can be done with a positive spin. Every single thing that we teach that we talk, that we walk can be done positively. Um, even if it's corrective, even if we've lost a game, um, you know, everything can be done with a positive growth mindset. And if you stay tethered to that and self-disciplined as a coach, your experience and their experience is gonna be great. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, we, we put the balls away, we go home. And that was one day in that child's life. They'll never get that day back, nor will you as your coach uh, role. So every moment matters, every, every message mat matters. 
And uh, to keep that philosophy through everything you do and say, you're going to be great. <laughs> <laughs>